Hello and welcome to School Growth Mastery, produced by Enroll Hand. We help schools, preschools, colleges and universities find their voice, connect with their ideal parents and grow their enrollment. We will bring on a diverse list of guests from school heads, admissions officers, marketing experts, parents and more, each with a unique insight into how you should grow your school in this changing landscape. In this episode, I'm joined by Shelley Kurth, the co-founder of Thrive Public Schools, together with Dr. Nicole Assisi. Prior to this role, Shelley was a teacher and a leader in educational initiatives that impacted thousands of students in California. Shelley has designed and continues to elaborate a unique instructional model that combines project-based learning, personalized learning, and an intentional focus on social-emotional development. Shelley and I talk about the evolution of Thrive as one of the top charter school networks in the U.S., how is it growing so much? We dig into their instruction model, it triggers so much engagement and passion in their students. We discuss how they evolve and hone their learning experience through a combination of deep relationships with their student families as well as solid data. Thrive believes in the art of storytelling to convey their model. Storytelling is something we discuss a lot at the Neural Hand. I'm telling you, this is the best incarnation of the motto, your product is your marketing, a motto that we really believe in. Thrive created an engaging learning experience and parents flocked to them. Listen in and see how you can apply these concepts to your school. Here's Shelly. Hi, Shelly, and welcome to the podcast. Happy to be here. Great, great. Uh, what's the weather like there in San Diego right now? It's freezing over here in New York. It is beautiful and sunny, a little colder than normal, which means it's like 50s. So, ah, yeah, <laughs> sorry <okay>. about that. <laughs> no, no worries at all. Tell us a little bit about Thrive, and then you can maybe tell us a little bit about your, your journey as well. And, and kind of how did the two things merge, your own journey and Thrive's journey? And I uh, did a lot, you know, started off teaching and then I had my own kids. And through that journey, really recognized, um, I'm going to say the stifling nature, nature that public education can have. It mm-hmm. does so many wonderful things, but man, it's really tough um, to get new and innovative ideas happening so I uh, really did a lot of work in my neighborhood, public schools, and the kids at my the schools that my kids went to, to try to get some of those ideas infused into the culture of the school. Mm. Um, really fun work. It was work where you were working with parents and community and leaders. But again, it was really um, it couldn't get as big as I wanted. It was a lot more of a challenge than I wanted. And right around that time, I met Nicole and Nicole had this amazing idea for a charter school that was really in, align, in alignment with my thoughts and um, the discoveries that I've made uh, across, you know, looking at innovative education across the landscape. And um, she brought me on before we were even a charter. We were just a hope and a dream and organizing around it and a lot of um, planning with her around the instructional model and how we could do a great job for kids. And your your instructional model and uh, is, is very much based around project-based learning, right? Yeah. So personalized and project-based learning um, is really the heart and the social-emotional those are like three pillars, personalized, yeah. project-based, and social-emotional learning. Our goal in it all is that we want to have kids with empathy. Um, we want kids to have agency, some independence, and some, you know, intrinsic motivation for learning. Um, and, of course, you know, the, I guess empathy, agency, and discernment being the really important thing, I think, in today's world. How do you weed through 
all of the information that we're giving as a given as a discerning learner. So um, really focusing on those three things through our um, instructional model, because honestly, they're kiddos for us, but they're going to be adults in this world. So um, through our projects, through some laser like focus on reading and math, because you have to focus on reading and math. It's important that they have those skills. Um, But, and through that social emotional bridge building, that is so important to us. We will actually have citizens that come out the other end with opportunities and real engagement in the world around them. I think a lot of our audience, you know, is, is thinking about these things and they're, they're, they know the world is changing very fast. They know that they have to focus on these types of, of instruction model, instructional models, uh, you know, work on the four C's or the six C's or how, how you, you know, 21st century skills. There's all these kind of buzzwords. And they're thinking about this, but it's hard for them to turn that into practice, to kind of mm-hmm. bridge the gap from the theory to the, the execution. So maybe talk a little bit about, okay, you met with Nicole, you were discussing these things, you were both excited about the same things. You don't need to go through the details of like planning and all that, but at some point you had kids walking into a building, right? So you, right. you were faced with reality. So what happened on that day? I mean, was it a rude awakening? Was it tough? Because I'm guessing kids were loud. Or, I mean, it can't have been exactly as you imagined it would be. Yeah. Nothing's ever exactly how you imagine it to be. I would say I might have had the opposite feeling on that during that first year. I recognized that we were on to something. Okay. Uh, it wasn't perfect. I will absolutely, I mean, man, this is, there's no perfect in education, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, but I recognized through the stories of the kids and the families that we were doing something unique and we were giving students an opportunity to find their passions and really be themselves in a way that they hadn't found before. Um, and I, while the work was hard and it wasn't perfect and we've made a lot of changes since that first year because we know more about our families, more about our kids, more about our model and what it's good at and what it wasn't good at. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think that I knew really soon after we opened those doors that we were onto something really unique and really amazing. And how did you know? The kids, they were happy. The, the families, I mean, the stories were amazing. I have a, a great story about a mom. It's one of my favorites. Um, she called and she was crying and I thought, that's never good. When you pick up the phone, I'm not crying. I'm like, oh, oh boy. Um, and she said, I just had to call and tell you that my son is sick today. Her son was a sixth grade boy. And she said, he woke up and he's sick. And I told him he couldn't go to school. And he cried. And he said, I have to go to school, mom. My team needs me. And then as through her sobbing and her tears, she said, he's hated school his whole life. I can't count the days he's pretended to be sick to avoid school. And today he was crying because he wanted to go to school. And I, as soon as I heard that, I, I knew like, this is what we're doing. That doesn't mean that every kid everywhere from every family feels like that. I, I don't mean to make blanket statements, but I knew we were shifting the way that kids saw themselves as students and as educators. I, I, I talk sometimes about what I call edu baggage. Mm-hmm. We all kind of come with these like past educational histories and what we think of school or what students look like or, and we were shifting the way kids saw themselves in the system. Instead of being just a, a getter of things out of the system, they were givers and truly parts of the work. It made me really proud. 
So you, you just if if I uh, kind of distill that, you think the agency piece, the fact that they were a kind of they had agency, they were actually you said giving into the world, they were creating, mm-hmm. that really wakes something in them and they get really excited. I do. I think that um, kids feel like they have a voice that somebody's really listening to them. Um, some kids this year who actually said the. A, this that exact thing to me um they were actually getting a little bit of trouble i had them in my office and they were telling me their story and they stopped who one one of the kids stopped and said no one's ever listened to us before <laughs> and this was eight these were eighth graders and i said really and they said yeah we just you know we get in trouble and no one ever hears what what, what we're thinking and i thought well well that's silly right like what are we doing to change um, the patterns, if we're not listening and and to the whole story. Um, so I think that giving kids a voice, doing a lot of listening rather than a lot of talking, um, is key and actually letting kids make some mistakes, um, letting us feel kind of imperfect in that muddy space, um, iterating and designing things. And it doesn't always come out great, but the learning that happens while you're doing that is really, really great learning. And I think it's the learning that sticks and it is what makes kids feel like they're part of it. They're, they're in there in the mud with the teacher figuring it out. I can't, I want to come back a bit to that first year. And then, you know, I'll ask you later about how your views have changed and how your, your instruction model has changed. But I know a lot of our, our listeners are thinking, okay, this sounds great, mm-hmm. but still, I mean, how do I change right now? I'm, you know, I have these classrooms, these teachers are frustrated. Maybe they're kind of teaching to the test because that's what we need to do. And I know you have like a, uh, you don't have, you have a complex vision of how to use tests as well. You're not completely ex- against the drive. Uh, but how do you, you know, in a new environment or an environment which is not yet fertile with these ideas of mm-hmm. project-based learning, how do you start kind of shifting that, that mindset? Um, the, the mindset that you have to do good on the test, that those standardized tests and education as it was, is that the question? Yes, yes. And I'm asking, kind of, you You might have, you're in a new environment, so I guess that new environment did not yet contain the culture that you've since created. So that's maybe something they can relate to, the audience can relate. So, I mean, it was hiring the right people. Hmm. Um, it was looking for people who wanted to do, I, I call it hard work, but I mostly it's heart work. Like, hmm. man, it was uh, a small but mighty team of teachers who truly believed that while this was going to be hard, it was really going to be worth it in the end. Um, They had trust in me and and Dr. Assisi um, that that we were, that we had them, that we had their back. And we we absolutely, um, in those first years, were like, man, we have to to build the relationships with the kids. We have to build the trust with the families. Um, More than focusing on a standardized test, we had to change kids' relationships to school. So I was getting teachers, a a really robust hiring um, process where we got teachers that were all rowing in the same direction. We all believed in the same things, um, creating this experience, and then um, taking the kids and building relationships with students and families that were not surface level. They were really deep relationships with deep caring um, 
So, so I think that is actually the work in, in the world. It's yeah. certainly the work we take to heart the most at Thrive. So kind of one by one, taking the families, like going deep, uh, not transactional, just like really understanding their, their needs. And, and um, before we hit record, you, you're saying something that since the start, you've changed your approach a little bit because of your understanding of who your families are. Can you elaborate a bit on that? Yeah, I think who our students and our families are. Um, so while we have the same tenants, beliefs and personalized and project-based and social emotional learning be at the heart of all the work that we do, um, we also recognize that it, we can't personalize um, so targeted that we're not giving kids a really um, robust exposure to grade level and beyond content. Mm-hmm. That w- while our innovative nature and the fact that we use a lot of technology to adapt and learn, um, that, you know, and I think all teachers know this, but that isn't the um, foundation of curriculum that we actually have to. Those, that small group instruction and balanced literacy is so, so important in um, kids learning. So we actually have pulled back some from our targeted, like individual personalized, just right learning. While that is still absolutely pieces of our model, um, we want to make sure and do make sure that kids have access and exposure to all of the grade level content um, and beyond, not just that, like real grappling with real world problems through our projects and making sure that they have like a big world of view. And I think that that has evolved over time, recognizing that a lot of kids came to us like personalized learning. That's what we want. We're real. This is, this is it for us. So we were giving them that and then pausing and thinking, whoa, we're personalizing so well that we're growing kids really nicely, but we're not necessarily giving them the whole big picture as much as we want to. So I think we did a little bit of change in that. We did, we got a lot of teachers involved. We talked to families, we talked to students about the things that were working well and the things that weren't, and then fine-tuned our program so that while those foundation, that foundation of Thrive still exists, that we're actually lifted up a little um, and really making sure that kids are getting all the pieces that they need to have a a real world vision and a whole um, opportunities ahead. So, so if I read that, I'm you know, putting my marketing hat on a little bit. Because, mm-hmm. So if I read that uh, in a certain way, what I'm hearing, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that you know, first coming in, you had a vision, and it was a vision you know, based on, on uh, three pillars, project-based learning, personalized uh, learning, and social-emotional learning. Mm-hmm. You offered that to the community, and you saw a huge demand. You, had, you started having stories kids parents crying and that is like i see that a lot so when you offer your value proposition is something that is really sought after Mm -hmm. and really it creates excitement the community responds and uh, that creates word of mouth that creates buzz that creates you know more people coming in and then you know you continue to monitor and kind of and and go deep with your 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 audience so you were always like interacting with them and since you've adjusted so you didn't have any sacred cows so you adjusted your value proposition your offering your instruction to make sure that the the final success or the 
you know, my, maybe success is the wrong word. I mean, the, the evolution of, 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 of the children into, you know, the citizens of tomorrow is like complete and full-bodied in a sense. Yeah, I don't think that we can have a sacred cow here in, in education. I think we always have to look at who's in front of us. Yeah. Um, what, a, what, what do we need to change to be better, to serve our kids more um, fully? And, you know, there's lots of pieces to that. There are teachers, there are families, there are students, um, there's our community. Like, we, you always have to check in with all of that. Um, I also think that you have to hold on for a while so that you get real, you can see the results and the fruits of your labor. Yeah. I think there's also in the charter world for sure, like what's that next shiny object that you're gonna yeah. grab onto? You have to be really like very strategic. This is this is what our data shows us. This is how we're making a move. And then we're gonna hold and we're gonna be, you know, practice that move with fidelity and check in and and give the professional development that we need to, with that move to make sure and educate our families to make sure that at the end of the day that you're actually tracking, did that move work or not work? Um, and then if it doesn't, you have to throw it out and, and try again, right? I think that's the, that's the thing in education that has been hard for me to look at over time is that sometimes we just keep doing the same thing, the same thing yeah. for the same results. And we then we complain that the results aren't what we want, right? You, ha- you have to be able to... To stop that. But there's a lot of pressure. I mean, there's a lot of historical organizations, stakeholders, mm-hmm. even the parents. Uh, that, that's it's it's pressure to conform and to say the same. I mean, yeah. I, I, you talk a lot about educating the parents, engaging with the families, you know, talking to the students. So you seem like very very embedded with your community how do you i mean deal with it when you're like yeah this i'm holding on because we're intentional with fidelity want to stay the course and this other thing we're changing and i'm sure you get wait no you know that's i don't agree i want you to change the first thing and keep the second thing the same how do you deal with that those are hard pieces, right? Everybody wants what they want. Um, I think we always try to do, make our decisions based on data. We, we survey parents. We have, um, we have two really in-depth surveys a year, uh, students parent, and parents and teachers. We do a lot of our work through those surveys. We also look at data, everything from, from test scores to checks for understanding to exit tickets and look, I mean, first and foremost, kids need to be learning right? And they have to be feeling safe and heard and valued and seen in school. Um, We know that those things are really the the most important things. So checking in all that um, and then being able to tell the story of why you're making a change and Mm. backing it up, not just me, but the teachers have to be able to tell that same story. Um, Our parents who are with us, you know, in the, in the change and in the, we want them to be able to tell the story. We get some of that better than others, and in some changes or in some rollouts, things are easier than others, for sure. We have lots of learning lessons, um, but at the heart of that, we're not making any changes without some solid reasons why, and then we're telling a story um, so that people can understand understand the change. A lot of the work we do at Thrive is around storytelling, um, story, my story, kids' stories, um, really understanding each other through the art of storytelling, understanding our model through storytelling as well. Um, Can you talk more about that? That's very interesting. Yeah. Um, 
it, it comes back to that connection and some of that social emotional learning that we've been talking about. Um, we have a very diverse campus. We, it's diverse by design. We want it to look like this. We really want it to look a lot like the state of California yeah. um, or the city of San Diego, where uh, we love to have all of these different kinds of people, all different kinds of learners here on our campus. But it actually can be really tricky. I have um, students who go to Hawaii every spring break, sitting next to a student who hasn't seen the beach ever, right? So yeah. how do we build those bridges? We use something, we, have, we use lots of tools, um, but one of the tools that uh, I really connect to and is at the heart of so much work that we do as a staff, as a leadership team, and as classrooms are is something called council. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is sort of the, I, I like to say, like the art of storytelling. And it really is kids telling stories that are meaningful about themselves. Um, it might be, you know, what are you scared of? And everyone having a chance to talk about what they're scared of. Sometimes this storytelling leads to, you know, writing. It could lead to projects. It could be, it's an entry point for lots of academia. But honestly, the heart of it is that we have to build these bridges between each other. Mm-hmm. We hold councils with our parents. We hold councils with our staff. Um, sometimes they're short. Sometimes they're long. Sometimes you cry. Sometimes you laugh. But it's about knowing one another so that, when something hard happens, you're not just seeing the hard part, you're seeing the whole person. And I think that's, that's yeah, that's the work. I mean, man, that's the work of the world. It is, it is. And kind of in what we do and deal with it every day, I think, again, the heart is storytelling. You have to connect with other people, mm-hmm. uh, people who are, you know, within your, your school or people who are out of your school. I mean, and, and I think I agree. One of the best ways to do that is, is stories because that's historically what we're, uh, you know, we're built to, to listen to stories and to respond emotionally to stories. Yeah. I had, we had, a, we ran a parent council a couple of weeks ago and we had some, I guess, right before the holidays, we had some community members who just happened to be presenting something at this meeting afterwards. Um, and they were involved in, in the council and he, they were blown away and they said, this is, can you bring this to our community? How can we do this more? Because they recognized the power. Suddenly we were all friends in that circle in a way that we weren't 15 minutes before. Can, can you, to the extent that you, you're able to describe a little bit more in detail, how does council work? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, anyway, what elements of it could others adopt to create that bond, you know, with parents or with students or how does it work? So we actually were all trained through the OHI Foundation, mm-hmm. um, and you know they have a, a process. But the the big picture of it is everyone sits in a circle. The circle is really important. You see everybody in the circle. Um, there is a talking piece um, that usually sits in the center, um, and or it could be talking pieces, something. Um, and so you respect that talking piece, and you remember some really important elements that you speak from the heart that you listen from the heart, that you're lean with your words. So you say, you use just the amount of right amount of words for the story, not too little and not too much. Um, I'm forgetting one. Listen to the heart, lean with, oh, and spontaneous. And you have to be spontaneous. So instead of while somebody else is talking, you're not thinking, thinking, thinking about your story. You're actually letting that story come to you spontaneously once you have the talking piece. Um, Yeah, and... The, the leader of the council um, 
has a prompt, a council prompt. And this might be, we may, you may read something first. You might have an activity first um, that leads you to this council prompt. And the prompt can be lighthearted. It could be very literary or academic. It could also be really heartfelt, um, something that you would really have to dig in. Uh, I think one of, the, one of the council prompts that I used with the staff was remembering a time when they were uh, embarrassed in school and really trying to get at the heart of teacher language and how we have to be very impeccable with our words as teachers, but getting them to look at that work through the eyes of a child from their own experiences of the times and what that looked like so that we can shape our teacher language and our reactions to things that happen with kids in ways that don't shame or embarrass kids. Um, so while it's a heartfelt, you know, people were crying, it was a, it, there were, we were laughing, there was lots of different stories in that circle. At the end of the day, we compiled a list of things that we noticed and ways that we could shift our own work to make sure that we, kids were feeling safe. So you do this within kind of with your teachers, you do this with kids and you do this with parents as well? Yes. And, but the parents aren't trained, are they, with this? Nope. The, the, so the staff is all trained and then we bring it to the kids. So all, all of our teachers, all of our leaders are trained in this. Um, then we bring it to the kids so kids can run councils too. Um, and then we bring it to our parents. And, you know, honestly, you, it, it's a slow, you do it little by little because this yeah. is a foreign, kind of a foreign concept to a lot yeah. of parents. It can be very uncomfortable. I, I, I feel it might be very uncomfortable at first for, for like, I, I felt a bit uncomfortable, like when you were describing it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you I have think to be vulnerable to, to get into that kind of discussion. You do. And you have to be able to let people pass when they don't want to talk, which is absolutely always okay. Sometimes there is um, just listening. There is um, something we do oftentimes with kids, I notice. Oftentimes they'll pass, they'll pass. There's a few talkers and, and passers, but then we do a witnessing round where you just say something you heard and then suddenly people start to talk. So it's little by little getting kids to students to have a voice and to feel like they can speak up. And some of those students at the beginning of the year who would never say anything are our leaders by the end of the year um, because they've learned to be vulnerable. They've learned to trust each other. I mean, there's a certain amount of trust in the room. Yeah. Sure. And once it's set at council, you don't bring it outside of council. And that's a norm that not everybody realizes to follow for a while. So there's a lot of learning in it. I can see how, you know, being vulnerable, the trust that's created, the bonds mm -hmm. that you create that way are very powerful and, you know, resolve stuff like what I asked you before, like, yeah, what if a parent doesn't like something or first you have the data, but then you have the trust as well, which is even more important. So and they might not like, like one thing, but if they've been in a couple of like very heartfelt discussions with you guys, it's a very different relationship. Yes. Yes. And you can bring pro problems like that in up in council. Some, you know, once you've established a close relationship, you can actually have some of more, the, some of those heavy moments um, to help solve some problems by gaining new perspective. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I see. So this is like, I mean, this is, it's like a sort of, and I, I hope I'm don't, I don't but butcher this. Like I see it as a sort of like, brainstorming or design thinking session where it just like comes out from the heart and then you said you use the insights account for project-based learning for 
different things. Prompts, yes. Prompt, yeah. That launches some of our professional development with teachers um, through some of the work that we're doing there. You know, you can list the words that you or the ideas that you had or the things that came out and, mm-hmm. and, and launch some ideas or some projects that way. Can you, that's very interesting. Can, can you talk a little bit about the surveys you mentioned? So you said you surveyed teachers, students, and parents. How does that look like? Is it like an email with questions? Is it, is, do you have, again, any kind of special format or is it just depending on what you're interested in on that? Survey. I, I think it, it's changed slightly once in the five years to, to gather, you know, you learned, we learned what questions weren't working, right? So there's yeah. been slight changes to it. Um, but it's, it's a robust survey that we give both emailed and um, written, depending on which way you want to take it. Yeah. Um, and it really talks about everything from how you view your kids' learning experiences to uh, how things are going, like just functionally in the school. Um, so the the whole gamut, really. And how much time? I mean, because these are two very different types of approaches. So you have like the very emotional, uh, spontaneous mm-hmm. approach, um, and then you have a very data driven approach. Mm-hmm. How much time would you say that you spend in a, I don't know, like a month on mm-hmm. like analyzing data, survey answers, stuff like that, to decide what you want to change in the instructional model? Etc. A lot. Uh, I'm trying to think of if I can. uh, I have really smart people who are doing that. Where I I'm taking it in its less raw form. Um, In the organization, in the kind of in the team, as as a percent of your time. Yeah. Well, we have a person on the team whose job really is looking at that. Um, It's brand new this year. As we've grown bigger, we've recognized that that needs to be a little bit more. Robust, but it's a it's a large part of our work is looking at that data. I mean, and that is, I think, not just leadership work, but that's teacher work too. Because yeah. if you think about it, it's not just survey data. It's like day to day interaction data. It's looking at uh, behavior data. It's looking at exit tickets and checks for understanding data to really get a good picture um, of all of what kids need and what kids have. And I, I, so I think that that is like probably compiling data is a really big part of the work. Otherwise that all all those other parts aren't going to be connected. Right. So, you know, attendance data leads to, you know, shows me something about behavior data, behavior data might lead me something about academic data or vice versa, the academic data and the behavior, you know, there's so many correlations and, um, ties in and unless you're really looking at it you may not see it so tell me if i'm wrong here what, what i'm seeing is because you, you're a you're a, like a school network that has gro- grown a lot and i'm hearing about a lot you know people like um um you know um Tom Van Der Ark, uh, a lot of people, a lot of thought leaders are talking about what you guys are doing. So there's a lot of buzz about, and you're growing. Um, so it seems like you're doing something right. Mm-hmm. So uh, what I'm hearing here, and tell me if you think that's maybe the reason why you're you're seeing a good response, is that on the one hand, you're building very deep, strong relationships with your community based on trust and, you know, you use the council and other ways to do that, to create like these deep relationships. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, you're using a very scientific approach 
to survey and look at, you know, exit tickets and behavioral data and, you know, have kind of formative assessment data all throughout the year to, to also see on that side what's going on. And, you, and, and there's no secret cow and you're shifting continuously along kind of a stable theme and vision, mm-hmm. and, but you're sh- kind of shifting around that vision and moving forward that way. It, yeah. That's what I see as, is there like something I'm missing in that picture, like as a global view or? No, I think you're, I think that you're, uh, you're spot on. That is what we're doing. And, and what, what I, what's encouraging is that by, you know, taking a stand and doing something different, mm-hmm. there's people and their parents are responding to that in a positive way. Whereas I think a lot of people in the audience would like to do that, but they're kind of thinking, yeah, but can I really go against or go different than this, you know, the state of California, what they, they're saying is important. I mean, how, how can I diverge from that? And, yeah, and I don't know that we, I mean, I think that you're going to, ha- we're always going to have to look at what the state is asking for, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, sure. you can't ignore that. Um, but I do think if we, if we all help each other and, and really shout from the mountaintops, whoa, 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 there are lots of things that we're measuring. There are lots of things that are important about education. And when we're being really innovative, it might look, yes, you should be seeing growth, but it might look a little different than it does um, in schools that are made certainly just to, to measure well on the state standardized test. Um, so, I mean, there's room for that big conversation. All of it's important, you know, but where your priorities are and how you're measuring it, I think I think there's good, worthy conversation. One, one last point from me, and then, you know, as we wrap up, maybe, you know, you want to share some final thoughts, but one last point for me on this big conversation that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that as an organization, you're, you're really, you're vocal, you're... Uh, you're out there, you're going to like your events, you're speaking, you're, I see Nicole as guest blogging, mm-hmm. uh, you're on podcasts like this one. So, you know, I see it as a, as a, as a kind of a way that you're persist- participating in this global mm-hmm. conversation, but I'd like to hear what you think about it because I talk to a lot of school leaders who are afraid, not afraid, or, you know, they think that's not their job. I mean, they shouldn't be out there talking that's maybe a salesperson's job a marketing job uh, you know touting your own horn in a way um and they feel like they, they they don't they feel repelled by that kind of approach of reaching out and talking a lot and all that how do you how do you guys think about that kind of thing um it's really part of our Part of our work and part of our mission, um, or I, I would say our goals, is not just moving the needle on education for the kids at Thrive, but really moving the needle on education over across the nation, perhaps even in the world. I mean, I Thrive has been to China. We have uh, people had visitors from Australia, from India, from um, Britain, uh, from Canada. People trying to see how to do something different. People. Um, with really smart people in a room together talking about what's working and what's not working and how to, how to make kids come out the door with more agency and more passion for doing really great work. And frankly, some discernment for, for what's the important stuff and what's the real stuff in the world. So these are the conversations that are happening all over the world and we want to be part of them. I think it's our job really um, to care about every kiddo every family, um, and honestly, the future and the heart of our nation. So uh, it's what we love doing. 
it's like you're you're talking about kind of both a tribe and a movement in a way. It's it's yeah. like bigger than your bigger than thrive, right? It's bigger than thrive, and it's happening. It's it is not just not in California, not just in San Diego. It is happening globally. There are people who are thinking, "Wow, we don't know what's coming up next." It's all changing so fast. I have two kids, uh, one about to enter college, and one freshman year in college, and. Man, oh man, it is, uh, it's a different world out there. It is a different world. And we have to be prepared that what we're doing in our schools isn't just getting them to be able to pass a test. We have to give them the skills to creatively get a job, to innovate on what's already out there because it's just changing so quickly. Um, And for me, if I kind of, on my side, do a final link of what you just said with Kind of school growth, which is you know a core a core interest of this of this uh, uh, like podcast. I, I think that when parents see that their their school, their teachers, their administrators are trying to innovate, they're not complacent. They're not sitting back. They're like, this world is different. The world is changing. I don't know what's happening exactly, but I'm going to just f- go ahead and fight and try to find a new way. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they feel better. They feel like their kids are are being taken care of. That someone's kind of out there fighting and thinking mm-hmm. and participating in that movement. And I think they're more attracted and more and gain more trust in in the school that way. I hope so. I yeah. hope that people always feel like they have a voice in the movement. That it's um, whether you're at your neighborhood public school or at a public charter school. Um, our every one of those parent and student voices is re- and teacher voices are important. Um, there are amazing innovative things happening all over the world, and we have to open our doors so that we see what's happening. We have to be willing to push aside some of our old things that we've always done um, and let a few new not all new things, right? Like we don't throw out the things that are working, but let some new things in. And we have to listen and look, the kids are a lot different. You hear it from teachers and, and parents and, and people all over the, all over, like kids are different. They're so different. Why are, you know, why are they acting this way? As the kids change, we have to change Uh, whether we like it or not. That is our job as educators. Um, It's really our job as a society to like, look at things and, and iterate on on it so that we make a good world for the future. So it's it's the it's the work. Um, it's the fun work, and whoo, it's gonna be hard work sometimes. But I'm glad <laughs> we're in it together. Thank you, Shelley. It's been Thank it's you. been a great uh, chat. Thank you so much for for all of this. And I mean, your your passion shines through. And I keep up the good work. I mean, we're all we're all watching. And uh, and yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to School Growth Mastery, brought to you by Enroll Hunt. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe to our show and share this episode with your fellow educators. You can support us by leaving us a positive review on iTunes or your preferred podcasting app. That way, more school leaders like you will find us. If you want to learn more about school growth, visit our website at enrollhunt.com and please do check out the links in the show notes of this episode. Until next time, goodbye for now.